start of each episode, so, uh, three, two, one. There are over two, 500 million podcasts in the entire world across several different countries. The only question is, how do we get podcasts to the other 11 countries? Welcome to the First Days with Mori podcast, the 75th episode, where we will be talking about free films that either deal with Ukraine or the war in Ukraine one way or another. I'd like to open up by saying none of the opinions we have in these films have anything to do with the subject matter or the subjects they explore, but more so about the films themselves and how they explore the political subject matters in their own way and fashion. I'm your host, Ian Taylor. Joining me tonight is my co-host, Devin Kane, my co-co-host and indie filmmaker, Stephen Beeson, and we have a very special guest tonight that I think would like to introduce yourself, so take it away. Oh, I appreciate you saying I'm very special. Um, my name I mean, is... I, I've always thought you were I am a moderator of the A24 film group on Facebook, so that does mean I do have special powers, and I exactly. love the privileges that come with it. The rush I get from denying oh. posts in the queue... Whew, it's like a cocaine high. Yeah, yeah. I, oh, yeah. I, I, can, it's the yeah. same moderator powers I have over the Discord server, and I like to loiter yeah, over yeah. Uh, Steven. I'm getting out my fan hammer of Thor. God, it's it's a beautiful uh, thing. Um, but, I, I think yeah. we're relating to the authoritarians more than we mean to. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> we did it wrong. Um, but yes, hi. Uh, I'm Kristen. I... Uh, really enjoy moderating the a24 group on facebook it has i think over 103,000 members last time i checked the wow. labor of love um i also am um, an actor and model myself um have i appeared in anything you would really enjoy probably not have you seen my face in times square Maybe yes, because um, that was something I modeled for Express last year and had a billboard in Times Square. Um, but yeah, um, I've been doing that for, oof, gosh, I think eight or no, I think this will be my ninth year that I've been doing that professionally through um, a talent agency. I'm not an Instagram model. Um, but yeah, uh, my uh, my Instagram handle is at Howlin Wolf, all one word. Um, H-O-W-L-I-N-W-O-L-F um, and you can find me in the A24 group cracking down on people who break the rules Wow, uh, are you implying that I did not enjoy I Am Wrath and starring John Travolta and Christopher I... Maloney? I'm sorry, what? I mean... <laughs> <laughs> okay, now because you're telling me she's going to be in the fanatic I mean, come on <laughs> <laughs> no, no god i wish um oh, but yes that's, that's, that's my one feature film credit is um i am wrath it used to be last year um it was on netflix which was very exciting for a while for me personally um but then it left netflix and then i think it was on amazon i don't know where it is now so if you really really want to watch um me for like maybe a solid 10 to 15 seconds or less really bad and pay maybe like three ninety nine or less, then like, yes, please go do that. Kristen? Otherwise, um, you might be able to find the DVD at your local library because I've had that happen before. I'm sure so, you were the best 15 seconds of that movie. Thank you. I was, um, my part, I actually had a call back and I was this close to getting cast 
the role of like one of the bad guys um like eastern european and funny enough uh like drug dealing girlfriends um and then um they decided like look we changed the script but do you still want to be in it like we'll make sure you get you know some facetime but you're not like you know what unless you are speaking lines like then you have to get like paid a lot of money um if you're not speaking lines you don't um but you can still be like hey it's me um so I was like yeah no that'd be really great um also I got to sit in John Travolta's um like director's chair that he's had since like 1975 or something crazy like maybe from his Greece days um he was he is one of the nicest people I've ever met um one thing Stephen knows about me is I am a huge law of order special victims unit fan um i met chris maloney um on set before i was cast in the film they were shooting all around columbus ohio for this um so this is going to be kind of sexist but um if you're a pretty girl and you tell a pa while you're walking oh you're filming a movie i'm sorry i'll just wait and walk i was just got off work i'm gonna walk because it was late at night and the guy was like oh well I mean do you want to come see it I was like oh really and he was like yeah do you just walk to me on set like no questions asked um and so I got to watch them do like an action sequence like that shoot out through a house and exiting into like an actual proper like choreographed um fight thing and this uh, is a this is a great segue for us to review this film sometime I'm I'm putting it in the why is this (laughs) not talked about tonight (laughs) Uh, yeah, yeah, but if you guys remember when like uh, Chris Farley was on SNL, and they'd have the Chris Farley show, and you'd be like, M- "Remember that time, um, like when you were in the Beatles part, Paul McCartney? <laughs> that was awesome. That was yeah. basically me meeting someone I really admired and completely wanting to um, die because before I ended up being in the film, and he was very nice, and I didn't want to be the first person to meet him. I was just like, hi." I've seen every episode of Law and Order, and he just looked at me and he went, that's, and he yeah. went, that's, and he went, that's great, uh, that's really great. And I was like, um, can I get a picture? Sure. We took a really great picture together, and then I chatted with a PA for a second, thanked him, and went back to my car. And then it hit me like, all you said to him was, "You've seen every episode of Law and Order, you idiot." <laughs> oh wow! But he's also super nice. Um, yeah, like it, yeah. I That's mean, a it's surprising. Fan, I'm kind of jealous. Uh, yeah, well, no, his career is also like, I mean, it's definitely more yeah, than his order acting res- Yeah, no, his acting resume is wild. Like, Happy was insane. Um, and I mean, yeah, of course, you know, also- you've got Wet Hot American Summer. Like, his comedy stuff is just like, the dude loves playing a weirdo, probably because if you follow him on social media, he is kind of a weirdo. And I yeah. will say, that it's a magnificent ass in person too as you know the internet is all about that butt oh i will wow. say the butt okay. is I, just I'm as amazing in person corner of the right, internet, uh, what okay are your well steven you've got a rabbit hole butts. to go down to <laughs> no i don't want to go down his rabbit hole but uh anyway back to <laughs> ukrainian films uh, how do we segue into that we, uh, that was a great segue oh, um it's perfect. So yeah. who's so we usually go in release order. Uh, what is first tonight? Lord of uh, War. So we have Lord of War, then the Tribe, then uh, Winter on Fire. Well, how about I introduce uh, Lord of War? 
I knew you'd want Go to. For it. Spoilers yes, for all three films, by the way. I'll take I'll take on the tribe after that. All right. All right. Uh, Lord of War is a 2005 American crime drama film. Uh, this is written and produced and directed by Andrew Nichol. Uh, Andrew Nichol, of course, the writer and uh, director of Gattaca. This film also reunites him with Ethan Hawke from Gattaca. Uh, the writer of The Truman Show, lots of good films, and uh, also In Time, which we don't talk about. Wow. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Lord of War, what's it about? Well, uh, Nicholas Cage is a fictitious illegal arms dealer. Uh, he is inspired by the stories of several real-life arms dealers and uh, weapon smugglers, primarily based on Victor Bout. And uh, it is the rise and fall of a Ukrainian immigrant uh, climbing his way up the ladder of nefarious uh, weapons, dealing drugs, all the bad stuff. Uh, Jared Leto is briefly in this movie. He is surprisingly uh, giving a decent performance, which is always hit or miss with him. Uh, yeah. I, I really enjoyed this film. Uh, I, I was thinking about this. There's only two films besides this that I can think of that even tackle the subject of arms dealing. And um, funny enough, <laughs> I read the uh, behind the scenes and it, sa it sounded like they even had to go out of the country. It was like an international co-production because uh, <laughs> a lot of United States financiers did not want to be associated with a film that might make uh, America look bad. So, uh, sure yeah. No way! That's never happened. <laughs> the, in fact, all Cops of the illegal uh, all of the illegal firearms and illegal tanks were bought, by, <laughs> were bought from illegal arms dealers mm -hmm. who loaned them to the studio because it was cheaper to have actual weaponry than it was to build props, which and the, is a is a problem studio... that's that's led right up to rust. <laughs> oh, well, I'm the, not uh, even kidding. Not even kidding. Yeah. Uh, also, this was funny. I found out that behind the scenes, the studio had to call uh, NATO because that many tanks in one area. It looked like they were organizing a battalion. <laughs> Uh, and so they had to let NATO know what they were doing so that they didn't get, like, blown up. Uh, yeah, so those other two films, War Dogs, Deal of the Century, uh, we don't talk about those. Lord of War, though, great movie, very uh, fun, energetic crime thriller. You've got Nicolas Cage giving his cagiest performance. Oh, he is fantastic. Uh, I was quite impressed with it. What did you guys think? Well, I love yeah. the opening, uh, you know, shot of this uh, this bullet kind of going through the production line. I think that's probably the most talked about sequence of this whole film, and I do think that it holds up quite well. Although so the CG itself is a little, it's a bit dated these yeah. days. Um, I absolutely loved uh, Andrew Nichols' uh, previous work, uh, Gattaca, um, and I think that this was a pretty decent follow up uh, from him. I do think he made downsizing not long out uh, sometime after this though, which is a real downsizing huh moment for me. 
Or no, I'm 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 thinking of someone else entirely. Oh, that's uh, Alexander Payne. The oh yeah. Saying, if you could believe it, I... Alexander Payne of all people made that <laughs> Shea movie. Yeah, no, it's like it's like these directors that have previously made great stuff and then made these like questionably uh, odd movies later. But yeah, Lord of War. This this had been on my list for like quite some time, and I do think it's a pretty uh, great film. Although it does stop or, or have the issue of how do we tackle really difficult subject matter but also make it digestible for audiences and i feel like that's where um i don't know the writing is uh can work or not work for it um where they're trying to make uh this really difficult subject matter like digestible for american audiences i mean you have nicholas cage who does a decent performance but it's like the least convincing ukrainian performance uh, I've oh ever well seen. and i had that yeah i had that in my notes it's like it Nicholas Cage performance as a seedy arms dealer was great, but as a Ukrainian seedy arms dealer, I'm I not so kind of forgot he was Ukrainian. I just accepted that by some small yeah, miracle. Yeah. Like, does Jared uh, Leto then, even have a Ukrainian accent? I don't think he does. I think he at least tries. Does he? Uh, when they, I, I, I think that. when they say brothers in arms, that's the only time they ever attempt even there's also well okay there's also a scene where jared leto is uh having sex and he resorts to his native tongue or something as nicholas cage puts it and and there's talk about borscht i mean there's like there's an attempt do the bare minimum as as the film goes on they kind of just accept that yeah this is nicholas cage and he's yeah you just got down to his vein like as an arms dealer though He's great. Like this might actually oh, be one yeah, of my 100%. favorite performances. Um, like he strikes. You gotta give Nicolas Cage the right role because he's an actor with a lot of energy, and you need a performance with a lot of energy. So putting him as this charismatic guns deal arms dealer, arguably one of the craziest and most bizarre ones out there in the world, is just genius casting because he just constantly uses his charisma and energy to essentially manipulate people into doing what he wants and trying to sell these awful weapons of mass destruction but you know every scene well, is in you're is just a real sleazeball in this too oh yeah there, he, he's there's a Joe line Belfort. in this that i i took particular note of where he says that he never sold to osama bin laden but not because of any moral uh it was something about Brand. that it was mainly because he uh he, he was bouncing sex oh yeah yeah that was the only reason so yeah. Oh, and, and he'll literally see uh, newscast saying they're going. What was newscast saying they were going to war? Or I, I haven't seen this in a while, unfortunately. But did they yeah. newscast say they were going to war, or they were stopping war? I can't yeah, remember. Th- there was something about going to war. It was going to war. This, this yeah, week. and that scene, like he he like kisses the TV. He's just so He's happy like and excited. And, down, and then his yeah. wife's like, uh, uh, "Honey, your daughter's walking." That's great, honey. And I I laughed so hard that I woke up <laughs> while she was sleeping. Like it's just the epitome yeah. of perfect dark comedy, and it just tells oh, us it, so much about his character, yeah. about his priorities. It's kind of over the top and goofy, but it works. The film kind of has that snarky dark comedic vibe to it that does help it stand out. Because if it didn't, it would kind of just be a generic rags to riches uh, criminal story that you've kind of seen a billion times like this character with a hard life and a weird family background uh, is very poor 
hopes to become rich one day by delving into a life of crime, and then he marries someone that he lies to, and eventually it's revealed that his criminal life is is exposed. It's like, you, you've seen this movie a billion times oh, before. Oh, 100%. And I mean, from the opening shot, I was kind of like, you know, that opening sequence where he turns to the camera and he's narrating yeah. and, you know, it's like, oh, this is Goodfellas, you know? <laughs> oh, yeah, it, it's Blow. Remind me a lot of yeah. Blow. Well, I was just yeah. wanted to be a gangster. <laughs> course, I wanted to be yeah. an arm stealer. <laughs> <laughs> right. But uh, it's a great narration. Like, the lines oh, I is, obviously yeah. joked about in the intro, but it's a great delivery of, like, the only issue is just how do we deliver to the other countries. Like, it sets the tone perfectly, but... There were so many points where it's like, if it wasn't for Nicolas Cage and the way the film was shot, I wouldn't be into this film as much. It's the same thing I felt about with American Made, with Tom Cruise, where like the filmmaking and Tom Cruise's performance carries the film so much, because without it, it would just kind of be a by-the-numbers crime flick that you've seen a billion times. And I kind of feel I mean, the same way with this. It, In a weird way, it feels like they had to play it safe. But I understand this is also very difficult for them to make. Like they had to get fi financing outside of America because America wouldn't fund, um, you know, exposing themselves <laughs> exactly into 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 this into this business. I mean, that ending and, is pretty incriminating, uh, shall we say? But yeah, I'm yeah. pretty sure that was shot yeah. outside of America for good reason. <laughs> yeah. But like, it's like, how, how do you how do you expose kind of the the, the darkness of American business practices? Well, also sell it to them, you know. It's it. This film is trying to do some very difficult things, so it's hard for me to fault it for playing safe. But I do feel like there's even darker elements of this story that we just aren't seeing. Mm -hmm. uh, and well, I don't know and how I... well you could really show them unless you made the film completely outside of America and it was from like a different country's kind of perspective. Like well, I think and there's. That... And at what point, when you do that, does it like almost become propaganda? You know, like mm. it, it's a very fine line to walk. And I kind of admire the filmmaker's audacity at even trying something. Yeah, like the fact this, that it's a know? big budget Hollywood film, and they're even exactly. trying something like this is just insanity. I think they skirt the line well for the most part, but I think what I think really. So like made it please the censors is just a generic narrative like by the numbers you know where the story is going lots of narration well so and kind it of hold was the interesting i mean uh uh devin kind of brought this up earlier when he was talking about films that are maybe not as great from brilliant directors and i, I kind of brought this up in my uh introduction but um there was a film in like i think it was 83 um called Deal of the Century, which was William Friedkin uh, directed a movie about an arms dealer and the arms dealer, kind of similar dark comedy satire on, you know, kind of political climate and guns trafficking and all of this. And the arms dealer was played by Chevy Chase. Oh, no. And uh, <laughs> it was a terrible movie. I'm shocked. Oh, man. I'm shocked. Well, Here's the thing, William Friedkin, and I say this unironically, one of my favorite directors of all time, he does have a very dark sense of humor in the things that he directs and writes, uh, you know, I mean, Killer Joe with Matthew McConaughey is a brilliant dark That's comedy. That's a great movie. Yeah, it is, but for him to try and go out of his way and do just a straightforward comedy 
it's not exactly what he's known for. And unfortunately, Chevy Chase is not known for comedy either. So, like, you know, it's uh, it was rough. And didn't uh, Wes Craven also do some like movie with him? It was like some riff on The Invisible Man. Or am I thinking of a different one? Was that Wes Craven? I, I don't remember. I don't uh, recall, but I, I do know what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, and I think the common involved. denominator is Chevy Chase is in terrible movies. <laughs> yeah, no. He, as soon as you said Chevy Chase, I knew exactly what kind of movie it was going to be. Yeah, so that made yeah. me not want to watch mean, it. But you know, you can't you can't fault Friedkin. He gave us the French Connection. He gave us The Exorcist. I'll give him yeah, a pass. Killer Joe's a great movie. It's the only one it I've is. seen from him. If I'm being and honest, and the only other thing that I can think of was War Dogs, which was basically just PG thirteen Wolf of Wall Street. It, it's <laughs> I mean, PG thirteen lord of war like i'll give oh, it uh, that like lord of war is definitely ways, more bossy yeah. than that like it starts <laughs> off of a child yeah. death like yeah. right away that's yeah. very <laughs> i'll give it that that's not something you see very often in hollywood movies not just a child death but a child death in explicit gory detail you know what that yeah. shot that, that that whole sequence in a weird way reminded me of children of god which I don't, I don't think, I don't know if you guys have seen it. Uh, Ian, I'm pretty sure you've seen it. Steven, I'm pretty sure you haven't seen it. I have uh, not that's seen a, that. That is a film that I think, is if that, that if it had that God, kind of mean? direction, yeah, yeah, City of, yeah, City of God. If yeah. it had that kind of direction, I think that would give this like the visceral punch that it needs. I feel like this just misses the visceral impact it's going for, or that it needs to have for you to realize. That people out here like this exists, and they will, and and they do like, you know, sell arms to different governments that are looking to fund their own wars, and they just add fuel to the fire of world conflicts. Well, I and... also argue that it kind of works for the movie because it's about an arms dealer, someone who's like voyeuristic to those sort of events. Like they just hear about them and watch them from a distance. They don't like realize the course of their actions. In a way, well, and so that's I feel kind like of that the same argument that Nicholas Cage fits. makes. Yeah, yeah. And you there's know, a scene he, where he's like testing out. Regardless, there's like... a great scene where he's talking about the AK-47, and he's just explaining about like how great the gun is and how easy it is to use. And it cuts to like child soldiers and soldiers across the world using it for their own purposes. We don't know what they're using it for, but it makes sense that from his perspective, that doesn't matter. All that matters is that he's selling the firearms and that he's making a profit off of it. And I feel like the disconnected mm -hmm. feel from the violence does kind of work with the subject matter. Otherwise, I would agree with you True. 100%. I, but I feel like it works for this movie in particular. Mm -hmm. I, I guess that is disturbing in and of itself, but I feel like it could have been even more disturbing in a way that's like more even more visceral. But I do think it does always as well, far as I, it can. I, I considering... think it has to... I think it kind of has to walk that fine tightrope, not just because of Hollywood censors or American markets, but, you know, just in terms of, like, storytelling. I mean, it's like Nicolas Cage, you know, they're trying to do something that's a dark comedy and that's a satire, and I don't think that that would work if they portrayed Nicolas Cage bluntly as the bastard that he is. You know what I mean? Like, you need just a little bit of sympathy. Mm -hmm. Maybe not sympathy, but you need something that ties him to humanity, in a way. It, it, 
he he has a uh, charisma that really makes him a likable character, despite how yeah, awful well, of a I human mean, being he like... would be. It's like it's like the it's like that mo movie. Uh, Thank you for smoking. Yes. Or, uh, exactly. or Wolf of yeah, Wall Street no, to an extent. Wolf like of Wall Street. Yeah. Yeah. That you would need have been a something that, that yeah. Well, you need something that anchors him in some way because I, I think it's hard for audiences to really connect with someone who's just that much of a bastard, you know. And I mean, um, there was a film that came out recently on Netflix called "I Care a Lot," oh. and it is a scathing dark comedy but a lot of people wouldn't even give it a chance because of the subject matter where it's a woman who is taking advantage of elderly people out of their homes and nursing home like manipulation and, and stealing these people's assets and a lot of people just flat didn't watch it or wouldn't well, give it a here's chance the, here's my issue with that movie oh, yeah. is it's not the subject matter it's how it presents it like, they basically represent that the main character is good. Like, she's doing a good thing and that, oh, she had a wolf childhood and a rough life, so it was really hard for her growing up. I, 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 was I don't think I necessarily agree with that. I, it does. It very it much does, leads into that. Well, it's not very sympathetic towards her towards the end. Uh, but It is for the rest of the movie. <laughs> Yeah, but well. in a way that's like really cheesy and forced. Like, say what you want about Nicolas Cage. Like, yes, he's likable and funny, but it doesn't demand sympathy in the same way. It doesn't expect you to like the character necessarily. Like, you know, it's very much going for a love to hate him sort of approach, and I think it skirts that line very nicely. It doesn't go too far, which I think I care a lot did, which was its main problem. I, like, I, it's not I that could... it got us to sympathize with the character. It's just that it did it poorly. In a way that was I can agree with that. I would say, um, you know, kind of relating this to our overall theme, um, I thought that that sequence, as funny as it was, where Nicolas Cage is talking about the AK-47, um, he relates a lot of history about the Ukraine and the fall of the Soviet Union, um, which I thought was honestly really fascinating. And I mean, as darkly comedic as they were portraying it, I thought that the the history there was pretty well, you know, researched. And uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I I, don't know how prescient a film like this is. It almost feels kind of odd man out in this trilogy in a way of uh, films that we're discussing. But I, I, I thought, it. I mean, I thought it was a brilliant film. Uh, you know, I, I mean, the performances were fantastic. I love, awesome. there was one scene in particular that I'm thinking of again trying to kind of tie this back where jared leto has a map of ukraine made out of cocaine oh, that he's yeah. going to snort. <laughs> it's like i was sitting there watching that and i was like did they really put that in the script or they did they just find jared leto <laughs> jared leto did that because he's yeah, jared leto. He's jared. yeah and they're just like what's he doing film it film it just film it <laughs> Because he's, he's talking about he's going to snort his way from, like, Odessa to, uh, where where was it? I forget. But, like, Nicolas Cage throws everything off the table. You'll be dead by the time you reach Kiev. Oh, my God. Either Jared Leto did that or Nicolas Cage did it as well. Like, Nicholas, they probably I, I did it together. Like, 
<laughs> I feel oh like yeah, I, I feel like they just found Jared Leto like that. He's <laughs> such a method actor. He brought his own cocaine. Yeah, uh, if he gives dead rest to actors, so he could probably deliver yeah, right. cocaine yeah. map. And they used condoms. But like, there was, was the Suicide Squad. He, he, yep. And Mark Robbie still has one of those rats to this day. The condom or the rat? The rat. Not the fuck. Not the condom. <laughs> that was what he said. He was supposed to have given used condoms to some of the actors. Oh, that wasn't the only thing. He... The Joker, baby. Yeah, didn't uh, he send Viola Davis a dead, a dead animal? Yeah, it was a yeah, dead, dead rat. rat. I think. Yeah. I think yeah. So. And he gave Murka Robbie uh, a the audacity rat. first of all to do anything to Viola Davis, but. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> The irony. <laughs> if there's anything Jared Leto has, it's the audacity. Um, Even if that's but, um, I, 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 I think that this film was very fitting for this trilogy. The irony is that his character is Ukrainian, which is kind of a cruel irony in, in this context. But I think what this film uh, does show, and even though I think there are some parts of it that are quite dated, um, Jared Leto's whole performance, uh, for example. <laughs> but but no, I, I I I think I think what this uh, I think what this film does show is that there are people who are incentivized to help start wars because it makes them a buck, and there are people who you know profit off of this. Like war is a profitable thing, and this is why these senseless acts of you know violence uh, occur because someone's someone someone gets paid for it uh, somewhere down the line, and that's just an unfortunate reality that we haven't faced and isn't incriminated unfortunately and i think it just just shows at the very least the incentive that exists out there and it's just one of those things that has to be you know dealt with and unfortunately i think this is a problem that probably has gone throughout history like you know his argument in the script is that you know this is as natural as you know giving birth like killing i mean and it's just that it kind of scales up some modern kind of hardware and warfare like thing like it's a primordial kind of element where people are killing each other over territories and someone's benefiting from giving uh materials or insights to one side and yeah this is just it's it's a really bleak and uh kind of complex kind of look at that world um but it does exist and it's out there and we have to learn how to deal with that and how to I don't know. I don't know where I'm going with this. It's just yeah, you're it's, kind it's of really, it's a really, um, the really deep rabbit hole uh, that this film exposes. Yeah. You, yeah. Uh, anyway. Uh, <laughs> well, did you have any uh, off issues to a great start? Off to a great start. Yes. Yeah. Uh, we do need to talk about just briefly uh, the performance of the president of Liberia and his son. Phenomenal. I thought they were both hysterical. I love the sequence where they're asking Nick Cage to get the Rambo gun. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Nicholas oh, Cage is, is like, wait, Rambo one, two, or three? Or three. It's like, yeah. <laughs> I almost, this is my one nitpick, and I know you were just about to ask for uh, closing thoughts, so this is probably my biggest nitpick. I wanted a scene where Nick Cage did a Rambo movie marathon with the guy. <laughs> that would have made it a <laughs> that perfect made film. It, yeah, that would have been a 10 out of 10 movie. If that yeah, happened. exactly right. Uh, um, real quick, also, oh, we almost forgot the plane scene where he has to land the plane and get about hundreds yes, of guns yes, to he, people. 
He's like, Bon Scott's freak on Yeah, you got a bazooka too. You got these rocket propelled grenades. You know what those are, right? Go tell your friends, tell your children. And he just oh, he hands just off all these guns, guns in everybody. a few minutes. And it's, again, the perfect epitome of dark humor. If you want to show somebody what dark humor is, you just show them the clip of that on YouTube and they'll understand what dark humor is. That's that's uh, probably yeah. my favorite scene in the movie. And, like, it's genuinely it, it's tense, great. and it, it, it's a great, like, how the hell is he going to get away with this moment? But And the payoff is just not what you expect whatsoever, but it somehow works. But also, again, yeah. cements the message of just how easy it is to distribute firearms to people. You can literally just hand off weapons on the street for free in a desperate country, well, and, and you'd be able to do it. Was, and I think that was true. Was yeah, this film was endorsed by uh, Amnesty International. This was actually like one of the most realistic portrayals of this kind of life. So I've heard. Uh, according to the experts in this kind of field. So, I mean, and yeah. It's, I, it's I, crazy how he even got into the business from the fact that like when, uh, when you know, America soldiers leave a territory that they were occupying, it's easier or it's cheaper for them to just leave the firearms behind uh, than then carry them back so that's how he was able to get them in the first place and redistribute them like and that's well, that crazy maybe not aged so well recently but uh, uh i digress yeah. think about what did we leave anything behind recently uh... <laughs> oh yeah i forgot <laughs> i'm sorry uh yeah my only real issues with the film are that it's so bind to numbers and generic plot wise and the film but it kind is of presented in a very it, it is, but at the same way. time, it also feels like the film doesn't realize that it's kind of generic. It, I feel like it thinks it's a bit more clever and smart than it actually is at times. And I think the performance of Nicolas Cage's love interest was eh, a little bit unconvincing, but besides that, I didn't have too many issues with it. It's brilliantly shot, great editing, Nicolas Cage. Please act in more good movies. I need more genuinely good performances from you. <laughs> yeah. uh, I mean, he's about to play himself coming up. Hell yeah. Summer. One of the yes, most anticipated unbearable. Whoa, 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 what is it? The unbearable weight of massive talent? You got Something it. like that. Such a great name. Yeah. Something that like that. And yeah, when they said, like, anytime any film always advertised, like, oh, it's Cages, it's Cagey. It's like, are you sure? Because I saw Mandy. I don't know yes. if we can go past Mandy. Like, I think that's <laughs> the peak. Are we going to surpass the Cage of Mandy with Cage playing himself? Because I mean, Space Talk was pretty Cage. Oh, no, I it was pretty Cagey for the first five minutes, and then John Travolta does a Cage impression for the rest of the movie. <laughs> and so good. A, a damn good one too. That it was pretty oh. good. He was supposed to have a. Maybe we could have like another future episode about just face off because it's them them then doing impressions of each other for basically the rest oh, yeah. of the movie and it's incredible me. it is a cinematic masterpiece it's, i mean the I film's will. kind of bad but i love it it's so yeah. stupid but to me the it's fashion brilliant. of like 1997 too oh my god let's talk about con air while we're at it put the bunny back oh, in the box yeah. I saw Conair. My parents took me to see Conair in theaters when it came out because I'm an only child. Yeah. And so if they wanted to go see a movie without a sitter, it's like, well, 
We're a parent that's rated R. She can come in. And John Malkovich <laughs> somehow out Nicholas Cage's Nicholas Cage. Uh, speaking <laughs> of Nicholas Cage, virus. ratings. That should be the name. That should be the name of an arms dealer, right? Cyrus the Virus. Exactly. Like... Why was that I not have the arms? I say Steve Buscemi stole that movie from me, but <laughs> everybody. Cyrus did. the Virus. He 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 does uh, bio warfare. Yes. <laughs> Jesus. Oh my God. Uh. Anyways, seven point five out of ten for Lord Four for me. That's exactly the number I was going to give it too. Hey. I will. I will give it an eight point five. Nice, because it's Nicholas Cage. Yeah, that's that's my whole reasoning. Just, just <laughs> that's your Cage. review. It's Nicholas Cage <laughs> in all caps. Exactly. And I actually I gave it higher on Letterbox, but I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna stick to eight point five. So sounds good. I I, I only would uh, yeah I'd only give it higher, um, if uh, this wasn't from Andrew Nicole. He already did uh, Gattaca and uh, Truman Show, which those films are like nines for me. Excellent movies, for sure. Yeah, especially Gattaca. That is incredibly underrated. Oh, I fucking love that film. So good. Anyways, Uh, uh, next up is Devin. You're out. What are we watching next? Uh, Next, we've got The Tribe from 2014, which is an actual uh, Ukrainian film, uh, which was recommended by uh, Kirsten. And uh, thank you for this, because this is a really interesting film. Uh, I'm not going to try to butcher pronounce the director's name but this is a uh independent film uh that he directed uh which is all uh presented in ukrainian sign language and the only caption you see in the movie is up front where basically it tells you that there are no subtitles or translations of this sign language through the film so this film is meant to be basically just a visual um you know, silent film, and this, you know, can be very challenging when you uh, first watch it, like getting into it. But I, what, what the one thing that I really appreciate about this film off the bat was just the sensibilities of the camera work and the way that they were committed to visually telling the story. It's basically all told through a series of long takes, which takes a lot of coordination into themselves. But also, it might have been the most practical economic way of presenting this story. Which, um, from what I gather, what I recall, um, is about uh, this deaf school uh, where you know there's a bunch of kids. They're all deaf, so they all talk in uh, sign language in the Ukraine. Um, the twist is that they also appear to be part of a gang, um, and they uh, have these nefarious means of making money, um, be it uh, you know selling drugs or prostituting, uh, which get, goes into some very uh, dark, dark territories later on um this was such an interesting film and it was very refreshing to see although i did find it was quite challenging and difficult in some cases and i think it just helped me realize just how much or how little of attention span i have these days (laughs) like when you know there, there, there are times where i'd like look away and i was expect to be able to follow the story just by hearing it but they're all just visually signing to each other so you really have to visually pay attention to everything that happens in this film yeah you you can't be on your telephone <laughs> yeah yeah you, you can't be on your phone you can't be checking discord messages and doing other things you really have to pay yeah. full attention which i appreciated right. i appreciated the fact that the film was committed to this idea and watching it unfold it felt almost like a dream 
that I've had or, or dreams that I've had where there are these people kind of in these, they run down to crappy spaces and I don't really understand what they're saying, but I'm kind of just going with the flow of what's going on, of, of, of what's happening. Um, and that's really the strength of this film in some, in some ways, but also possibly it's downside where sometimes the acting isn't super convincing or at least yeah. some of the coordination of like the fighting, for example, wasn't all that convincing at times. But I do understand that this was like an indie film. Um, and I think that they do a, a, a pretty decent job overall with uh, how they're telling the story. And again, I really appreciate the sensibilities of the camera work and the way that they've captured. Um, although, I don't know how much it helps that there isn't a translation for the sign language. Because I feel like I really missed a lot of the nuances in the plot. Like, I'm kind of an outsider just seeing this happening and i really have to just visually assess through body language what they're talking about because there's no way f i i'm i there's a lot that i'm just not clued into when i'm watching this film being outside of uh ukraine so i have i have one thought that i kind of i kind of want to add to that so you know when i watched the film i i agree with you i also kind of <laughs> struggled with the uh attention span part of it. Um, and I was glad that I stuck my biggest thing with this film. It sounds like kind of a nitpick, but it's also like not a nitpick. <laughs> the problem is that this film, you know, through the story that they're communicating visually, which, I mean, it's no small feat to do that. And I mean, I admire the filmmakers, again, just the audacity of, like, trying to communicate this kind of narrative solely through, um, you know, visuals. I mean, it, it is completely, it is the director's intent to, you know, like, there's no subtitles available for this at all. Um, and so, like, yes, I, I admire that uh, commitment to this kind of vision. The, the problem is that this story, you know, they are kids at a boarding school and they have all of these nefarious sort of underworld dealings. There's, you know, prostitution and there's murder. There's a, an extended rape sequence, which, you know, I don't know exactly how necessary that was. But regardless, it, it almost it felt like. Uh, Harmony Corinne's Kids or uh, Gus Van Zandt's Elephant, which oh, we talked about on the podcast. And yeah, it's impressive that you could communicate this sort of like corruption of innocence and this, you know, youth lost and all of that. Um, but nothing particularly demands that this story be told through Ukrainian sign language. And I almost wish that the hook of this film complemented the narrative a little better I, I wish that them being deaf or, or, or them having to communicate through sign language maybe factored in more than the fact that yeah this is the film where they communicate through sign language I mean it didn't really play in that much in terms of the overall plot and maybe I was looking for more of that you know what I mean mm -hmm. I think maybe I don't know. I feel like there's some details that I miss that maybe do factor in the plot in some nuanced ways that I just didn't pick up on simply because I didn't understand. Maybe that's a comment on the film itself, how these people are miscommunicating with each other and how we don't really understand them and what's going on. I mean, 
if I were deaf and I knew American Sign Language, that still wouldn't help me because Ukrainian Sign Language is completely different. It does make me wonder why there isn't some universal sign language or why I don't even know sign language like growing up. Like, why isn't this a thing that's taught? And I do think that this film kind of showcases, you know, issues with that. But again, it's well, really hard to I, 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 I feel like I'm reaching to, to, to get some of those points in because it is. Um, hard to assess. I am just reading here. This is kind of fascinating. So, yeah, all the actors are deaf. They make no use of vocal language. I think even deaf people do vocalize, though. And that does happen in some key scenes. And I'll get to this in a bit. There is one scene that very impactfully you hear someone uh, vocalize. Um, and that was actually a very difficult scene. But I'll, I'll get to that in a moment. Um, and I did think it was a bit weird, though, that even people like outside of this weren't like making noises because that, that is just a natural thing that would happen. Like they wouldn't be articulate because they can't hear themselves, but I do think that they would still, you know, they still have a voice and they still would likely use it in normal situations. And like, it wouldn't matter because they can't hear themselves anyway. Um, but this interesting thing, I was reading well, that the director the film, himself doesn't even yeah. know sign language, and he had to have interpreters make sure that they were sticking to the script. And it makes you wonder if there was even a disconnect then from the filmmaker not even understanding the language himself. Well, and I will say, I mean, for to the film's credit, I mean, it does a good job of almost isolating this story. Because one of the things that I thought about going into this is like, everybody's going to speak in Ukrainian sign language. I mean, if they go outside of this school, surely someone's going to, you know, speak in their native tongue, and that would almost throw the whole, you know, thing through a loop. But it, it's a really, it is a very claustrophobic sort of film, and it does a good job of maintaining that that narrative selling point. Um, it, you know, and I think, I actually, I talked to this, uh, I talked to Kristen about this film quite a bit, and we went back and forth on a, a lot of uh, other films that we were discussing for this episode. And I, I thought her reasoning for, you know, picking this one was brilliant because right now, uh, Coda, or Child of Deaf Adults, is uh, leading the best picture race right now. And we'll find out Sunday um, at the Oscars. But that is also a film. Uh, that deals with um, being deaf and, and that experience. And I thought that was fascinating um, because I didn't even know that there was uh, Ukrainian sign language. I had only ever thought of, well, I mean, there's American sign language. And I hate to kind of tell on myself like that, but it's it's not my experience. I had never even thought of it. Well, and no, it, saw... it, it, may, it makes sense when you discover it, but it, it isn't something yeah, that right. you necessarily think of. And I do like looking into this world and discovering this part of the world that I wouldn't have thought much about otherwise. And I do think the film is great at showcasing that. This also reminds me of The Sound of Metal from last year, which mm -hmm. I don't know if you've seen, but that was about a metal drummer who uh, goes deaf from playing music without ear protection, and he has to learn how to uh, deal with being deaf suddenly. And that film used sound design very brilliantly to tell that story. And I thought it was... Uh, you know, it really ties well into this film and Coda, which we'll see uh, next week potentially. But um, now yeah, I I I really did uh enjoy this film for the most part. I just felt like that there was a lot that I missed and I would have to watch again to really pick up on. And I wish that there were translations for me to really pick up on the story. 
I, yeah. I would like yeah. to hop in for a second oh, um, with um, everyone kind of agreeing that they feel like they missed a lot because there were no subtitles. Um, as someone, I I used to be near fluent um, in German. But I'm not now, but um, when part of when I was learning language as a kid was when we would be watching German language films, we were not to watch them with any subtitles on to try to learn the language more and just to be able to see if we can understand the story with just a little bit of language that we've learned or even if we didn't like know anything it's like all right well can you figure out what's going on on screen and I think maybe that might even be a statement on the director's part to choose to not have any subtitles as you know maybe as an international filmmaker because again like when Parasite made such a splash um, internationally and then you know swooped in and won you know best director best picture and so many people were like oh but like it's a foreign film I can't understand that I had to read subtitles the whole time and I think we're still you know it's 2022 and we're still dealing with people who don't want to watch foreign cinema because they don't understand it so I feel like there's some kind of connection there about like this is difficult for me to personally process and maybe that's why it's hard for me to figure out like do I understand the film do I get the message do I understand what's going on but conversely if you want to put yourself in the place of someone who if you uh you can't speak or you can't hear if you have to rely on sign language if you can't communicate um with someone the way that you know like 99% of the world does you know I guess imagine from that standpoint, you know, you worry about are you being understood or do you understand the people around you? And I think me, that's what I was starting to think about um, when Stephen had suggested this film. Um, and so with, with a note on Coda too, because I was just looking it up, I didn't even know this was actually a remake of a French film, which is interesting, mm -hmm. but um, they, uh, the writer of a, uh, coda learned american sign language and 40 percent of coda is written in um american sign language um the french and she um where she had i think um secured the rights for um the french version which i'm not even going to try to um pronounce it but it's essentially you know the same story with sign language but then again I guess for us as Americans you know we think about well we have American sign language but then we're not required to learn it and yeah we are all kind of telling on ourselves what it's like I even told Steve when I was like I didn't even know there was Ukrainian sign language but like why wouldn't there be why wouldn't there be uh you know German sign language why wouldn't there be Brazilian sign language you know so it, then I think that might even just kind of show ourselves as Americans, I guess, in a way to be like, oh, I didn't know like a country would have their own sign language, like, but we do, you know? And I feel like I'm just kind of spitballing here and not really like being concrete with my thought, but I guess essentially like what it is what drew yeah. me to um Steven suggesting that film and me being like, no, I think I would like to hear your guys' thoughts on it because um I think I mean, I've watched films before. I've like, you know, I've sat in front of the TV and watched like telenovelas on Univision when I don't speak Spanish, and I'm just like, oh, like what's happening? Or like, oh, that guy definitely cheated on that lady, and like, oh, they're gonna fight, and like, so you know, it's like I don't know what they're saying, but like, 
I watched like five hours of telenovelas once and I'm like, I had no idea what they were saying. But you know, it's like, I think we as humans, like without knowing language, we can still understand, I think generally what's going on. And I think maybe that was a director's intention to be like, okay, I want people to be completely immersive in this. And I'm not going to make things easier for people to put it English subtitles because these people who rely on sign language don't have the luxury of like always being able to have people understand them. Oh yeah, and I absolutely respect that you know decision in this attempt to present something like that. I think that maybe they could have done a little more in the, in that regard. Just like so again. The film is made entirely of long takes. There's only 34 shots in this entire film. And that's, you know, that's really committed to this certain idea in the filmmaking. But I feel like if they really wanted us to just clue in visually to what's happening with these characters, maybe they could have put it some like close up inserts of them reacting or having some emotional thing where I really pick up on what the action or the intent in the scene is and what the characters are going through. And I think if they'd done if they maybe added more of that kind of filmmaking to that to this approach then it might i might have gotten even more out of it just on this first watch because i feel like i have to see it again in order to pick up on some things because sometimes when mm. they have these long takes running for so long i'm looking at different characters and i might be missing what one character is doing and and that's is actually a really interesting breakdown i remember reading some time ago and that is talking about human communication where the words and what people say only actually take up about 7% of communication. And then like tone of voice is somewhere around 33%. And body language is like 56%. So that is most or like ab ab about half of communication, but it is just half, right? And so the visual language of filmmaking really needs to, you know, step in and, mm -hmm. and, and give me, you know, as an audience member, just something to, to launch onto. Like I really have to look and engage with it to pick up on things. And I like that they kind of give you a wide angle where you can kind of uh, decide where to look at, but at the same time, I feel lost sometimes. And I feel like the pacing of this also makes it difficult at times. There are some scenes that go by really briskly, and there's a lot going on, and I feel like I'm really catching on to what's going, to what's happening. But then there's some scenes that really kind of linger, and I'm not sure exactly where it's going, and then I get distracted, and then you know, I feel like the, I feel like it unfortunately loses me there. Like if you cut out maybe half an hour of this film. I think you'd have a tighter story where I understand maybe the point of what's going for quicker. And I'm 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 a person that advocates for long films. Like Stalker, Andre Tarkovsky's like three hour epic is one of my favorite films ever. But I don't know, ever since doing this podcast I've really started to appreciate shorter films that get to the point quicker. <laughs> Probably just for expediency on my end. But I do think that there's something to be said about you know, the the economy of filmmaking and visual storytelling and really making the most of this type of filmmaking i feel like i've seen short films that have this kind of approach where it is just visual acting with some music and they really do brilliantly in that shorter time frame so i don't know i'm really uh torn with this film because i love the sensibility and the approach to the filmmaking but i found myself lost at times unfortunately and well, i don't and know I think if that was a I, fault on my I, end or the filmmakers I will say this, we, we've talked about this before with uh, when we reviewed The English Patient and we reviewed um, The Usual Suspects. 
where there, there's a lot of films that play it very safe. And they, they win Oscars and they win awards by just kind of sticking to this middle ground. And they're not really fully committing to either the insanity of like, they're just so bad, it's good. Or they're just, you know, masterful, masterful films that are actually trying something unique and interesting and really going all the way for it. And if anything, to this film's credit, I will say that this film goes all the way for it. It does fully commit. Mm -hmm, absolutely. Um, I, and I think that is commendable in and of itself. Um, but oh. yeah, I mean, and, and going back to what you were saying with like the long takes, that's kind of what reminded me of uh, Gus Van Zandt's Elephant, you know, where you have these like long sweeping takes and it, it's almost at a distance. And I don't know. I mean, you know, I, now I'm kind of just spitballing, but it's like, you know, maybe that's kind of like the mm -hmm. distance uh, between, you know, something lost in translation. I don't know. Yeah, um, and it's interesting it's, because I really liked that film and you and Ian weren't huge on it when, when we talked about that. I, I wasn't oh. crazy about Elephant. No, I I, I feel I, like I this was on I, the same level as Elephant in all honesty. Really? Okay. Yeah, I... I, I would I would disagree with that, but I'm interested to hear your thoughts. I I, I do apologize, Caitlin. It was the reason I was being quiet. Was uh oh. Well, okay. Well, <laughs> I my first issue, and it's a little nitpicky to start. I have bigger issues, I promise. But I want to start off by saying I don't buy that taking out the subtitles was the original plan, and here's why. Because it doesn't feel like it was a movie made with the intention of being the visual story. And here's, again, here's why. Like, maybe that's pointing us into the attitude of the characters. But if you take something like Baraka or Embrace the Serpent, which is a great underrated Cuban film, I believe. Those films were made for the pure intent to be watched completely visually. Like, there's sign mm -hmm. language in Embrace the Serpent, I believe. But you don't need to be able to follow the sign language to understand what's happening it's a movie that feels like it was made for visual storytelling in mind like every frame every position of the actors and every you know bit of editing feels like it's trying to explore a story with that in mind and the film the tribe doesn't feel that way to me it kind of feels like they just took out the subtitles and at the last minute almost like it didn't have that same feel to it which would be fine if I feel like the acting was convincing in any way, but I thought all of the acting was really stiff and awkward. And it's the same issue with Elephant, where they hired a lot of new actors, like most of these aren't professional actors, at least from what I gathered, but you need a good director to really bring great performances from non-actors, especially in a completely visual story. And the director just doesn't have the chops to do that. And there's so many scenes where the actors were so cold and unconvincing. They move like really awkwardly and stiltedly. Like, like well, they're trying to go for an artsy vibe that didn't really work for me. And it just kept pulling I mean, me out of the experience. I mean, it is kind of odd. I, I kind of ran into this, into this kind of thought, kind of going off what you're saying, where it's like, 
I don't know that I agree that their acting was bad, but at the same oh. time, I'm not sure how to really critique it because they are communicating entirely through sign language. Well, it's like, the, the emotions of the do... characters and the way they move even just does, well, didn't sure, feel natural I, I, to me at all. I know, but it's it's like, uh, and I actually saw one of the actresses, um, I'm not even going to attempt to uh, butcher the pronunciation, but the uh, the main actress of this film um, was interviewed by Vice News and they had to have someone who could translate the Ukrainian sign language into American sign language, and then someone who could interpret the American sign language into English just to have an interview with her. And I think that, yeah, I mean, I, I think that there's something to be said there where it's, you know, it, I, the I'll game say of this. The telephone. Yeah, no, it is. And, and I'm wondering if maybe something gets lost in directing someone like that. But you know? it, it, I, I even don't know. outside of the sign well, language, though, is what I'm saying. Like the performances, just the way the characters moved and looked at each other just felt it, it felt like they like students learning how to be in the movie for the first time or students mm -hmm. learning like the positions of being in a play for the first time. Like it didn't Well, feel and in fairness, this is a very bleak film and it is about young children. I mean, it kind of works in some ways, but I would also argue that I would argue that the novelty or the hook of the film does kind of lose its charm somewhere yeah, it is towards the end. There's well, like 30 where... minutes of a potentially great movie in here, but the problem is the film keeps going and going this well, is, and I, going. I, I this, is, this is how I feel about this. I feel like this is a very good, like, rough cut of a, of a, of a good film. Like, this feels like a first pass where they shot all master shots, mm -hmm. and if they had inserted some close-ups and added some music, this film lacks any kind of music. And when you have no audible dialogue and no music it is hard kind of to fully engage with it unless you're like trapped in a and that can work for to, to a film's benefit to, to not have music but i feel like for like well, listening people we need something to kind of connect with it more emotionally yeah because uh ian mentioned earlier the film the the, the the film baraka like that's a film that is visual but there are there's also tons of music in it and that's really where that film, where you can really connect with that film, is the mm -hmm. is the marriage of uh, visual and sound. And, well, and you know, I I, I, argue... I'm talking as a person that can hear, so this is another. Right. Thing, but... Well, and I will argue. I mean, the the sound design in this film is incredible. Yeah, that's the best part. Uh, about the it. entire sequence, the entire sequence with uh, the nightstands at the end, in particular, was, I mean, brilliantly shot, yeah. edited. The sound design was incredible. Uh, and it's a horrific sequence, you know. Um, yeah, it's re really kind of a really kind of a cold ending to this film. I kind of wondered very what, what happened immediately afterwards. But okay, I I just wanted to mention the scene that grabbed me, that really got me fully immersed in this film, for better or for worse. That really just like made me uncomfortable, but I thought was brilliantly done. Was the whole uh, abortion scene? Um, oh God, yeah. Which, which is like, God damn, I just saw Nymphomania. Did I have to see another yeah. one? I mean, but no. But we like, did, uh, yeah, we did do but, Lars Gottfried's uh, Nymphomania. Yeah. yeah, and I'm like, well, at least she didn't do it herself. He went to someone who has done this before. But 
the the actor that played the so she I guess finds out that she was pregnant after uh, basically going around to these charts like basically she and this other girl are being prostituted by this guy uh, to a bunch of people at a truck stop so already uh, that's not a, that's not a scene you want to be in um, <laughs> and 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 they do that quite a few times and I guess she gets pregnant from one of these truckers and so she goes to this under the table like abortionist it's just like an older woman in her apartment she pays her money. And this woman's whole demeanor, she's very, like, cold and robotic, like, she's done this thing several times, and she's just so desensitized and very mechanical about it. Like, there's just so much about her character I got completely from just how she moved and how she watched and how she carried herself. She was one of the best actresses in the whole thing for me, because I just got yeah. so much character from just how she carried herself in the scene. And, like, you just see her go to a cupboard and pull these metal utensils from a box and then put them on the stove. And then she grabs a rope. And I'm like, oh, God, what is she doing with those? And um, and and then you see her kind of prop the woman's, like, legs up in the bathtub. I'm like, oh, God. Like, just the, 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 the sense of dread and anticipation. And then hearing... Uh, that actress like cry which is the first time you actually hear her really vocalize the whole film that was just powerful and i was just gut-wrenched and that uh, that was the most emotionally engaged i was in the entire film um and i i wish i connected some more scenes that way and it's it's such a like it's an awful scene but the way they played it out was you know brilliant and i think you know it just shows how well kudos it, 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 uh, yeah Kudos to the director for being uh, less edgy than Lars von Trier about an abortion yeah. scene. And you know what? <laughs> they, you know what? That's a scene where it was all shot in a wide shot. There were no vis, there were no like visceral, detailed close-ups, and this felt more emotionally engaging and horrific, like by 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 actually being restrained. And he didn't have to like give us gory details it was just their acting that sold it and it was tastefully done uh considering how you know what they're showing and i felt right. even more like disturbed by it weirdly enough by that restraint but i thought it was you know a brilliantly done scene uh for a pain i couldn't possibly fathom absolutely oh, should we yeah. give uh final thoughts yeah, I, I wanted to say, like, the sound was the best part about the movie, and those scenes you mentioned are incredibly visceral and incredibly well done, but the whole time I was thinking, it, just like you said, Devin, like, why wasn't more of the film like this? Like, why did I have to sit for the rest of the film to get to this point? There's 30 minutes of a great movie trapped in a two-hour mindless project, and I, I really could not... more than that, I think there's a solid 90 minutes here. I think... Wow. If they cut out a half hour of stuff, and if they created some close-ups so that there was more visual intrigue, or if they highlighted certain uh, emotions from the actors that I could connect to just by looking at how their faces are, and you know, and and the way that they kind of highlight idea, like I think if they did more with the filmmaking, I think it would connect on on a deeper level. Um, and overcome the lack of subtitles and the lack of music because those are two very powerful tools when used well to communicate an idea and if they want to go all visual then go all out with it like go even further like i love that well, they shot it all in launch hates and that's great but i feel like there was just well, something and, missing you know i i mean I, i'm not usually a fan of 
this kind of long, slow cinema with, you know, very little dialogue. I mean, there are certainly exceptions. It's um, funny because I, I usually am. <laughs> yeah, no, no. I mean, there are exceptions because I, I love 2001 A Space Odyssey, obviously. Um, I've gone on record and talked about how much I loved uh, Nicholas Winding Refn's Only God Forgives, where, you know, Ryan Gosling speaks like 10 lines of the entire runtime. So it, it's it's not so much that it, it, there, there's something about this film that is ironically distant, and and I can't quite put my hand uh, put my finger on like what it is that it's missing or that it needs, but it's just something that it, I, I I do agree. I think it needs something to kind of you know maybe if that's music or if that's close-ups or you know something to just connect it to a wider audience and i don't know that i would ever watch this again but i am glad that i watched it yeah and too i'm really glad that we did see it and and this is the one well actually knows the second like ukrainian film that we looked at but i like you know the, the whole idea with this episode and this is also part of my apprehension but also what i admire is seeing another culture's films like films about themselves for themselves and us finding ways to connect with it unfortunately this one just kind of feels very bare bones and it's it makes it more uh, difficult to connect to in some ways but there are you know ways that you can engage with it beyond that and, and it does force you to kind of be outside of your own you know bubble and comfort zone to really engage well and with i think that will I, I think that having seen this it definitely will uh be a good segue into um coda which Mm -hmm. is poised to take best best picture so who knows you know um should we we give this a rating yes exactly should we give this a rating can i go first oh i'm afraid (laughs) (laughs) well it's just i i immensely respect the ambition behind this film i don't want to give the impression that i don't whatsoever it's I appreciate them going all out. Even movies like Sound of Metal kind of cheat by using like a lot of dialogue, even scenes where there shouldn't be any dialogue for the audience's convenience. But I feel like this kind of story can be done better. And the acting was really stilted. The camera work was kind of awkward. Like kids will like push doors that they're clearly pushing for the cameraman to get through. Like that, <laughs> that kind of pulled me out the experience and just lots of little details like that just kept pulling me away when should have pulled me in and yeah if it was like 90 minutes i'd give it a 7 out of 10 but as it stands i'm giving it a 5 i really want to like this one more than i did fair enough well well i it it seems about it seems about on par because you know again Human communication is only 56% body language, so that's really Precisely. about on par. I, I'm going to give my rating quick. This film might be the film that finally kills this joke. The longest-running joke on this podcast is oh, when God. I give uh, no, is I when I give films a rating of 6.9. <laughs> sorry, Caleb. This film actually has a scene of uh, two, of the a- two of the actors doing a 69. Jesus um, Christ. So that's probably the most what apropos the rating I could possibly think for it. And hopefully this film is the one that finally kills that joke. I'm going to be a little and more Kristen left creative podcast. with my film ratings from here on out. Well, this will be the last 6.9 I'm going to give for a while. Please. I would also say that this film is uh, pretty nice. 
It's a 6.9 out of 10. God damn it. Uh, <laughs> I'm trying to keep her on the podcast. I, I I to, look, I, I knew you were going to do that because I knew you were going to do that because Good I watched her. the movie <laughs> and I tagged, like, like I put the timestamp in the Discord chat. I was like, this is, this is it. This is the one. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I, I saw that you tagged me there and you just wrote nice under. I'm like, I know what that means. <laughs> and, there and, and, but, and, and then you did the, the Squidward death stare after that. I'm like, uh-oh, what happened? What's yeah, that was, the, the, uh, that was the uh, meme reaction to the following scene, which, which we talked about the, uh, the abortionist but wow Caitlin would you like to introduce uh, Winter on Fire who wait did I say Caitlin yeah it's not Caitlin Kristen I am so sorry see that's how terrible I am of names I'm sorry (laughs) we're live and you're embarrassing me my god (laughs) I mean I embarrass you every day Steven yes that's true Steven you're already an embarrassment now oh god (laughs) Kristen, I'm sorry. Would you like to introduce Winter on Fire? Um, sure. So, Thanks. Winter on Fire has really gained a lot of uh, traction. I think over the last probably two weeks, given the current state of affairs in Ukraine. Um, I mean, everyone from, I mean, my my cousin who lives in Prague now has been putting it all over social media. To watch it um but winter and fire uh ukraine's fight for freedom is a 2015 documentary film about demi uh euro made on i'm probably saying it wrong protests in ukraine in ukraine from uh november 21st 2013 to february 23rd 2014 this is distributed by netflix um so it's really easily ex- um, accessible um with english subtitles um they also made it free on youtube oh nice Mm. did not know that yes yes Uh, for uh me um one thing that i've been talking i talked to steven about the other day um was how i felt like this compared to i think other documentaries i've watched or think maybe what the average person watches when it comes to documentaries it's um you get a lot more narration you get more like context of things and for me this felt very cinema verite like you're just being put right into it you know um and i think for people that there wasn't for me i didn't feel like there was enough context i think historically like there was a lot of like text on screen about like here's the presidential election and you know this happened this and that whatever and then here's people protesting and then they talk to someone and it was um honestly i had to restart it i think more than once because just the the editing style that was put together really bothered me and it it was um, a lot kind of all at once and yeah i i I just want to say quick this was kind of funny because it it, it leads in just what you were saying but my experience watching this um i had uh the tribe open in one tab and this movie open in another and i started watching the tribe first but then i would get to a point where i just found myself being like distracted where okay i'm not really following the plot here and okay i'm supposed to see one on fire i'll start that also and 
and then I was watching like five, ten minutes of that and where I was like almost overwhelmed with like visual information that I had to read. So I was almost like going back and forth between the two films yeah, and just and getting two different moves and, very very quickly when it's yeah, on there it's, it's too. Like, it's like too much text in the one film and not enough text in the other film. <laughs> it's just like two very different oh, challenging yeah, movies in terms of how it presents information to you. One is completely visual, with no dialogue, no text, and one is all text that I have to read because I don't understand the language and there's a lot right. of visual stuff happening. So it, th these were two difficult films just <laughs> being just in how they were presenting information but they were both engaging in different ways yeah um, and I would say too um like I hate to say it because I think you know with I'm assuming we're all maybe around the same age like I'm 32 um 27 27 okay eh, close enough but like you know I mean I was sitting in class like when 9-11 happened so, like, you know, being in that generation and, like, growing up of constantly seeing war now and, you know, it's just, it feels like, I mean, when I watch the news as it happens right now, it can be mentally taxing on me and with having um, family living near a war, having family where, like, their border is in crisis, um, it's hard for me to watch this stuff as like it happens in real time now um i was actually very distraught um for probably the first couple of days when everything broke out talking to my family and they're still worried um, about how things may progress but i think it speaks to i think our culture that you know we can look at a documentary and you know you know people are being shot you know cities are destroyed and it's just like oh it's just another this is a real, this is a real building that's been bought. These are real people that are dead and almost have like, I'm not saying no reaction to it, but it's like, that's one thing I think about when we watch films like these, where we're so used to seeing death and destruction every single day on the news. And you see it in a documentary and you're just like, oh, okay. Yeah. Like, tell me more about like, you know, like you almost lack an emotional response anymore to so yeah. much of these it, horrible, horrible things. It, it's hard to well, know like, how to how to react these days, and this is the weird thing. It's like the first week when I heard that, you know, Putin was bombing Ukraine and World War Three was starting. I was so emotionally like invested and like, oh shit, this is happening. And then suddenly, all my, you know, I was I was kind of like emotionally, mentally on high alert. And then after a week, I just kind of had to switch off from it. Um, and and this and this is the, the the bizarre thing. It's like I'm not in the war zone, but I'm mentally exhausted hearing about it. But yeah. at the same time, I'm living in relative peace, and I should be grateful for that. And you know, like I can't, you know, it, it can't compare to the people that are actually in the middle of this right now. Like this is this is like nothing in comparison. But it is fascinating just how you know oversaturated our media is, and how quickly we kind of get mentally exhausted hearing about things. And I mean, this is just a completely different media landscape to what we've, like, well, been I used mean, to historically. Like, you know, we, people used to not know anything outside of their own communities back in, like, the medieval ages. Right. Like, it, like, I well, remember hearing the statistic yeah. that, like, a week's worth of, I think it was, like, the New York Times newspaper, this is back when newspapers were relevant, like, a week's worth of information in that newspaper is more knowledge than anybody like peasant in the medieval ages would have ever encountered in their entire lives. So we just are 
overwhelmed with information beyond what we can actually mentally, like physically comprehend. <laughs> and I think, you know, we're really, we're watching this play out more and more on social media too. I mean, it's been playing out on social media and mm -hmm. not just, not just Ukraine and many other places as well, but, um, Oh gosh, I'm sorry. I just lost my train of thought. Hot second. Um, That's right. I think one one thing that I did notice about this, and then I had to kind of go look at it, because um, I was I was noticing it right off like the bat. I was like, something doesn't look right here, and it was interesting to note. And I saw that this was in the controversy that the film received criticism for showing several neo-Nazi symbols and flags used by extreme right-wing protesters, but it was left uncommented on in the film. And mm. I had another webpage open just now to look at it, and when the director had been questioned, I think, by Mashable and someone else, like, about, you know, why didn't you, you know, talk about this? And because... Um, it's a very complicated situation and then this is why it plays into you know we don't want to be it's very clear that there's to a right and a wrong side of what's happening right now mm -hmm. um but i don't want to go into a big political discord aside from i think that should be clear as far as it goes for the mm -hmm. actual politics of ukraine and stuff leading up to this and especially just like so much corruption in former eastern like bloc countries former ussr states um, mm -hmm. To not address um, the neo-Nazism, which you keep seeing, you know, Putin and pro-Russian people, you know, keep making these statements, um, that that is something that we really missed a chance to talk about because they were protesting against, like, the same guy. But then, you know, so it's like when American government, we have all these split groups of people. And we all don't believe the same thing. We have far-right people in the U.S., obviously, and we have far-left people. You know, we have everything. But to show this one mass, this massive event happening and to not comment on we also had fascists here, um, I think that does a disservice to the people. But the director's actual quote in this interview had pulled up, and I don't have it pulled up now, but he said, I'm a filmmaker, not a journalist. Well... <laughs> so, and that's always the well, thing, you know, as, as a filmmaker, you're going to present your version, I guess, of the story. But even then, if you're making a film about an incident that happened, I personally think as a filmmaker, you don't know, you're not a journalist, but I do think you should have responsibility to, sh when it's, it's, a, it's a documentary. Well, like, here's the thing. I, you can so be your filmmaker. That's thing. I'm sorry. But yeah, like you're a filmmaker. Yeah, okay, you're not a photojournalist. That doesn't mean that you shouldn't leave out something massively important that we can see on camera. We can see the symbols. And we know from reading about the events what also happened and these other factors that you chose not to comment on and you chose not to just discuss at all. And to me, it feels almost a little bit unethical to have this. And you know that these people are there and to not say that they were there, if that makes sense. No, I, um, well, it, it, I, if they showed the footage, then I don't know. And maybe he might have thought that suffice. He may not have known what to comment on it exactly, but he did have 
footage of it so he just showed what footage he had i mean i don't want to speculate um exactly what the intent well, was behind I, that I or will... if there was i don't think that there are omitting details necessarily but there is something to be said about showing things more matter of factly i do think the editing of this feels like conventional kind of documentary maybe a little over edited where my understanding of cinema verite comes from like I guess the 1960s is when the, that whole movement blew up. I think of films like Alan King's uh, Warrendale or like these really fly-in-the-wall um, kind of films where it is just these long takes shot from these Bolex cameras and you really are just seeing uh, kind of very raw footage of what's happening without much commentary at all. That's what I would think of Cinema Verite where this has a lot of dialogue and narration kind of explaining what's going on so it is presenting a side to it i suppose um but yeah that's well, just I, modern I filmmaking versus this. vintage yeah just just to kind of jump in here i mean and, and i i don't want to get into like a whole political thing either but i think it's worth saying that like yes at some point it is a filmmaker's responsibility to address something like that i mean i i agree with that at its core on the other hand i mean they are working within the confines of a certain runtime so i don't know maybe it was like it would take away from the overall narrative i don't know i can say pretty much emphatically and and again not being a political expert but you know i i think that the criticisms that you see particularly with these you know, people on Twitter uh, or, you know, people on social media that are, uh, you know, either Russian or, or you know, like trying to defend um, the Russian invasion. You see these people making claims that um, it's an attempt to denazify, like to remove Nazis from Ukraine. And I think, you know, I, I think that that's a really gross sentiment because, you know, it's kind of like Kristen was saying, it's like, you know, you can't just bomb Texas because there's a lot of Klansmen in Texas. I mean, unfortunately, you know, people that have these very dated uh, racist or anti-Semitic worldview, they, they just, you know, they exist. And that is a, a complication of society. Yeah. Um, and as far and, as um, neo-Nazism in uh, Central and Eastern Europe that um, maybe the last 20 years or so has started um, to rise up. And especially you, um, if you have time to look into it, you'll see this with um, particularly uh, football fans, like soccer fans. That became a thing. And, you, you know, it's, this isn't a Ukrainian, you know, you see it in Poland and other former um, Eastern Bloc countries. I mean, that's just, that's the thing. I mean, there well, actually were, I mean, there actually is, there is a, a legitimate political party of neo-Nazis in Slovakia right now. I can't think of the other countries off the top of my head, but like they actually well, had um, like seats in parliament. They had the two seats in parliament, but then they just lost more seats in, at the, most, the last election. Uh, I forget which one it was because i was following it very very closely with my family because they're very very nervous but there are legitimate neo-nazi parties that political parties that are allowed to exist and people can vote for them into their country's uh governments so that really is a thing that is happening the way it's being framed in the current narrative by the aggressive country it's not it's 
yeah, I'm not the I'm not the one to go into that conversation, but it's a very complicated, long conversation. Well, but yeah, I mean, definitely. And I mean, isn't that? I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. Is it is it not uh, that a lot of these kind of neo Nazi uh, groups they they're sympathetic towards Germany for for giving independence or something? I I, I don't know, like like the details of that. I I mean, it well, is. I mean, I can say at least for why the one specifically in uh, Slovakia, which thankfully lost um, seats in the last election, like you could go to their party website in the English language version, and they spell everything out. And it's not necessarily, you know, they don't really even say anything necessarily about um, Hitler. They, you know, they don't even necessarily label themselves as like, yes, we are Nazis, but they have a very like, you know, they've got like, here's what we stand for, and it's it's what you would expect. But it also, personally, it sounds like, you know, what a lot of I would expect people in the U.S. to believe. There's a lot of like, you know, very, you know, like no belief in homosexuality and like gender norms. Like Christianity needs to be the religion of the state um and and things and things think yeah very so just your typical yeah yeah. but in a militaristic way so and these people don't have anywhere near enough power to do anything unless they were able to have a military coup or something which they they don't but i mean it's but i mean that's sad but like that's you know that's the reality of it and yes like like racism is part of it um uh you know, gender and um, religion, yeah, it's all involved with it. You don't necessarily see them, you know, it's not like it was in the 30s and 40s and before that of, you know, specifically targeting Jews. It's a lot more, I think, carefully worded as, you know, like your Christian identity is being taken from you as a European and especially with the way that there's been waves of immigration um uh, refugees coming into europe and there's especially this very anti-immigrant anti-refugee and speaking of anti-immigrants and well, you know seeing how people of color get yeah. affected in europe there's midsummer which is an a24 film and we can talk about that another time because there's literally an anti-immigrant banner that they go under but anyway well, I will say this. I mean, kind of tying it back. I mean, uh, you know, the 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 alt right or these Nazi groups, whatever you would like to call them. Yeah, um, they they're all essentially, now- in my mind, the same thing. You can call them what you sure. want to call them. They, they're, right. you I'm, know. Yeah, but what I'm saying is, I mean, they are known for essentially hijacking high profile things like this to try and spread mm-hmm. their propaganda. Um, you know, Devin and Ian are both in Canada, and there was a lot of, you know, talk about, well, you know, have these, like, Nazi groups infiltrated the, the truck protests? And yeah, because so I, I knew someone around Ottawa almost, that was showing a bunch of stuff, like Nazi flags at protests, and it was just right. like, what? So it's, almost, it's almost hard to tell, like, what is legitimately, you know, those kind of groups and i don't know i mean it's it's a giant clusterfuck in a way yeah we live in a very scary time with deep fakes and everything too where it's it's i think it's right to question things but it's yeah when maybe okay 
and, and that's and the I other think... thing is like this situation's unfolding and i think every news outlet and you know on, on both sides of the thing russia will have their own propaganda uh, america and us will have our, our own or our own propaganda looking at this issue it's really hard to know exactly what's going on these days because everybody has an agenda i mean it's just hard to know what to trust Cl clusterfuck is the most apropos phrase <laughs> i've heard yeah. which is why i think it's so exhausting because it's like yeah this this yeah. isn't good i i'm not i'm not for war war bad uh Nazi some guy bad, needs to put that putin yeah, guy yeah. in his place you know and no no I, <laughs> But okay, but hear me out. I mean, strictly playing uh, devil's advocate and, and tying this back to the documentary itself, maybe it's good that they're not giving a lot of time to these, you know, Nazi groups because it 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 takes away from their uh, notoriety in a way. I don't know. I, don't I mean, know if I agree with that. Yeah, no, I I think the I think the Nazi stuff wasn't really the focus necessarily. It's I mean, not. I, it seems I mean, to I me, agree with that. Yeah, it, yeah. It's it, it's like yeah. sure they were there and maybe they were co-opting it for their own purposes, but really the whole, you know, they were they were protesting, you know, the political uh, climate that was happening there, and then things got out of hand. And this film actually reminded me of a film I remember seeing that also made me equally frustrated and kind of distraught at the. <laughs> The, the nature of uh, reality and human conflicts. It was this uh, native uh, film that Kenisataki. That was it. We had to watch this uh, when we were in like Canadian cinema, and this was a uh, a protest that that happened in uh, Montreal, um, where they were wanting to build a golf course on some uh, on some reserve land, and that situation just became an absolute clusterfuck where they were, you know, peacefully protesting. And, you know, the people that were there to build stuff just kind of, I guess, ultimately got away with what they were there for. And the whole mm. time I'm invested in what's happening and it's just so frustrating. It was so just anticlimactic, like all this effort was for nothing kind of thing. And it was just, uh, it just leaves you with that kind of feeling at the end of it. But that was, that felt like a very cinema verite type of film where uh, it was really just the cameras kind of tracking what was going on. I don't remember there being much narration or commentary in that one but there was only yeah. narration for one scene and they were explaining the history of the situation mm -hmm. just yeah. to bring you up to speed i guess and then you just yeah. sort of saw how things unfolded yeah and, and then it and just forth. goes right back to the story and this film and then i think yeah. sorry i was gonna jump in real quick and just say for me i think i think it's important that people see this but for someone especially right now everyone's it's you know it's really trending again um, to have a film try to give more context to what's happening or show you, like, here's this protest and whatever, and it just jumps in very, very rapidly, like, here's this election and here's this president and here's that, I don't think the average person is going to really be able to understand what they're watching, and I wish there would be more context of, like, what had been going on prior to that, or maybe there just needs to be, I don't know, a another documentary paired with it that gives you even more of a background of ukrainian history and not just like all right there was an election this year and then this happened because okay. all right let's no get one said yeah. for me like i mean because i know a little bit about just like you know the general like feel of the region i'm not ukrainian but like i like i think the average person that has no idea about anything let's say east 
uh, Germany, <laughs> right? Let's say that maybe. Um, really has no knowledge of European history and know what's going on in Ukraine now. Or like, oh, I heard about this. Let me watch this film. They just get bombarded with like, here is this election and here is that. I don't think that's going to be enough context. But does it need to have more context? I don't know. I would have liked to have gotten more than just feel like I'm sadly just kind of watching again what I'm already watching in real time, except people can't protest because there are just bombs being dropped. Yeah, yeah I, mean, I it, agree 100% with you. Like, the whole time... Sorry, I want to step in. Uh, the whole it. time, like, I was just thinking that there's something missing here. Like, what, what am I missing on? And sure enough, I did my own share of reading, and on top of the neo-Nazi issue, there were also plenty of, like, pro-Russian... Ukrainians that were completely against the protest and were actively like trying to work against it but the film would almost have you believe that like every Ukrainian is like on the side of the revolution like yeah we're abandoning this together we're all working together but that's not the case at all and I feel I almost feel like the film's a little bit insulting because <laughs> it, the impression I get is that it feels like they have to lie and exaggerate a lot and I understand almost every documentary does this to an extent even movies I love like Baraka or Man on Wire or Kenisataki but what Kenisataki nailed more than this film is that it felt more nuanced it felt like it was willing to admit the issues from yeah you know the pro side as well like yeah there were some people that are out of line yeah sometimes what they were doing was questionable and sometimes they didn't manage the situation properly but this film it felt like i was watching les mis at times like it felt i really don't want to say it but i gotta say it it did feel a little like propaganda at certain points and i'm not saying like i'm against the ukrainians at all like that's not what i'm saying but i am yeah. saying a no, story like this needs more nuance you're saying, and respect yeah. I, I, I feel like the has real such a world. Negative connotation. Yeah, it's like the I, diet I, I, coke It isn't a negative thing. Happened. We all have yeah. our own viewpoints, and that was yeah. my thing with feeling a little, I guess, feeling a little cheated that I could see things but weren't talked about. You know, like when I mentioned yeah, the no, symbols like... and flags and whatever. And I think also what people are trying to understand with the current conflict is that in the regions that the Russians do have like control over now and have already been like under conflict for the last couple years. Like when I remember there, that uh, Malaysian uh, flight had been shot down. There's, there are ethnic Russians that live in Ukraine exactly. and there are Ukrainians that speak Russian, not all Ukrainians speak Russian, but it's like, you know, it's, it's an ethnic conflict and two. So it's just like, I am not the one to really speak on it either, but without people understanding that this is a sovereign nation, but there is a sizable minority of ethnic Russians versus ethnic Ukrainians. Um, and I saw just in the last week, there's actually been, a, I guess, a sizable amount of Ukrainian refugees going into Russia, though, but my parents were like, why? And I'm like, well, what would you rather do? Cross yeah. farther east to be safe where you don't really want to be, but at least you know you're going to be safe from the invading country? Or are you going to try to go a couple hundred miles in some other direction and get shot or bombed? with your family 
I would probably take the safer option, even if it's that's like not where I want to be. Yeah. So it's it's really hard, like it's, difficult. Like it's a catch twenty two, and and this is the you know like the real world situations are a lot more complicated. And it's hard to know what's yeah. right and what's wrong in the situation. I feel like. You know, some films do a, a good job at showing the nuances and the complications better than others, where this maybe tries to simplify things or tries to keep things uh, more clear-cut in a way that Be maybe doesn't represent the reality, but, you know. Yeah, I do, think, I do think it's very important for people to see, because overall, I strongly believe people need to get as much knowledge as possible mm. on any current conflict. You should also just want to be smart in general. But... If this if this is a, a stepping stone for a ton of people, then I applaud that. And yeah. you know, it's all made us have we'll go read more about it anyway because we didn't quite get one hundred percent what we wanted from it. So in a way, like it, you know, it's serving its its purpose for those of us that want to read more about it. So I would hope that you know that people do see this and there's at least you know something they can understand even if it's not necessarily the best option i think i'm like i don't think i'm explaining this right <laughs> but no. i think you guys no, know I, what i'm I trying to say that like though, that it, it it's at least some of the bigger picture right yeah like yeah like... any 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 little bit of info like because this is also showing i mean it's real footage it's a documentary there's some parts that like you know i didn't that weren't in it that i wish would have been in it like i'd already said but you know it's at least something that people can watch and go okay so this only happened a couple years ago basically yeah it's so, a good like high school documentary like it's good documentary yeah. to like show your students as a stepping stone i kind of mentioned yeah. it in my review as like the diet coke of uh you know political <laughs> documentaries and it's a tasty diet coke it's a well-presented diet coke the use of footage is brilliant the restoration process they did a great job if they had to use any restoration the editing as blatantly manipulative as it is is like very good on like a strictly filmmaking perspective so i can respect it for that and it is an important subject matter but at the end of the day it's just a diet coke i feel like i'm a little unsatisfied a little empty after processing it which is not how i want to feel for a documentary like this well, I mean, I, I, I feel just kind of uninformed about the issue still. Like, I feel like yeah. I'm just even more confused about what's happened over there. Like, this should have hopefully given me, like, context to what's been happening. You know, th this happened basically in, like, 2012, 2013, I think, or 2013, 2014. But, I don't know, I feel even more lost by the end of it, which is, you know, well, kind I will, of the opposite I... effect that you'd want to have a documentary to have, where... You know, I want to feel up to speed and I want to know what's right and what's wrong, but... Well, I will I say, and I kind of brought this up to Kristen, too. It's, like, one of my favorite examples of, like, a true um, cinema verite film is uh, Medium Cool, which is in the Criterion Collection. And I, I almost feel like it's cheating to bring that up because it is... It, it, a lot of it is narrative that's you know shot like a film like a uh, docu drama uh, with cinema verite kind of stylings to it yeah, yeah and yeah. I, I feel like this is more i mean it kind of leans into that but it almost feels like uh like a michael moore kind of documentary in a way yes. in its own way um 
but yeah, I mean, I, I agree that it's at least a good, you know, first step into kind of understanding this, you know, kind of uh, conflict that I mean, and, and I posted this in the Discord chat too, where it's like the, the conflict in Eastern Europe between Russia and the Ukraine goes back to the 1100s. So, I mean, yeah, you're not going to get all of this history and all of this experience and all of these different, you know, uh, actors, whether they're, you know, acting for their own best interest and, and trying to co-opt these kind of movements or otherwise, you know, you're probably not going to get that in a 90-minute Netflix documentary regardless. Um, but I think that it does add some context and i think that at least you know having that context is better than not having any at all and That's i true. think especially you know you have so many so many people nowadays who are coming in and trying to comment on this uh on this war and this this growing conflict and how it relates to them specifically and they don't they haven't even watched this they haven't watched anything equivalent to this they are sitting at home and they see a headline on the news or they scroll through Facebook or Reddit and they try to jump to assumptions. And I, I think now especially is not really the time for a lot of people to be talking. I feel like it's a time to listen and to learn and to, you know, uh, just kind of understand that, you know, this, this, it, I don't know. I mean, it's not something as clear cut as, well, you know, when Trump was president or when Biden was president or, you know, if this would happen or that would happen. I mean, there's a lot of nuance. And I, I don't know. I mean, it, it's like I said, it's not something that you're probably going to get from a 90 minute Netflix documentary to begin with. But for all, you know, intensive purposes, as far as 90 minute Netflix documentaries go, um, it's pretty well done. Um, it, it does have its issues with pacing. Uh, there was a couple of times that I felt lost in the overall plot, um, kind of going into what you guys were saying, where they were kind of jumping around quite a bit. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's not an easy situation and it's definitely uh it's rough you know i i don't know it's it's uh, as a film overall i think it's well crafted i think it's well made um but yeah not not the whole picture yeah what would you guys give it though 10 who wants to start I mean, this is a really hard film to really rate numerically just because it feels like it very much relates to an unfolding situation. And I mean, it's ironic, but I think very fitting, Stephen, that you said that maybe this isn't a time to actually be talking, but to be listening and trying to understand yeah. the situation. <laughs> and here we are talking about it, <laughs> which uh, was, was part of my apprehension into doing this episode to begin with, just because like, man, this is full of fresh situation and i don't want to say anything definitive about it i don't know if i have anything really any definitive to say about it other than war bad don't don't do that you know like i wish more people saw the movie come and see and and like you know like we did last year and i thought that well, was a pretty I, like good case yeah. to not do anything like this again but here it is happening sure. well, um, and I mean, it's, <laughs> it's it is there are certain 
definitive things, right? Like, you know, Nazis bad, war bad, communism bad. I mean, those uh, are all kind of like, you know what I mean? But it's like... Nukes uh, bad? Don't, don't, well, don't, you know. Yeah, yeah watch Fred. One guy sets everybody. off a nuke, the next guy's going to set off a nuke. It's mutual assured destruction. Watch Fred. Uh-oh. <laughs> I think we lost Kirsten. Kirsten, no. Please. Oh, no. she's back. Oh, she's no. probably lost back. Yeah, I, I couldn't hear anything for a minute, and I was just like, oh, "We're just giving her no. final thoughts." Oh, we, <laughs> we 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 were just meandering, um, oh, going okay. back and forth. It's I, I have a hard time rating this. I'm gonna give it a, I'm gonna give it a seven. You wanted to give it a six point nine, didn't you? I'm giving it a seven. <laughs> I swear to God, I can feel the urge. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm giving this one a six point five out of ten. It's very well made, very well shot, very well edited, but I I needed more. I, I just needed more from a story like this. I think that's fair. I, I don't know if too. I'm overwhelmed or underwhelmed by it. That's fair. Yeah, I'm kind of somewhere in the middle. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm gonna give this a seven point five. I think that's a fair rating. I admire the, um, you know, I, I really admire Netflix, if nothing else, for making this film free and readily available to people on YouTube. If it wasn't you for what's going on, that you don't they would even, never do no, that. <laughs> no, I understand, but in light of recent events, I think that is a great mm -hmm. uh, thing of them to just, you know, uh, and again, it's not the whole picture, it's not the whole situation, but just that part, you know, and, and I think it is, I think it's interesting um, because the documentary, correct me if I'm wrong, ends on this kind of footnote uh, where it talks about, you know, they don't know what's in store next for Ukraine after this kind of uh, revolution. And I just think that is uh, incredibly poignant in hindsight. Foreshadowing. That's true. Yeah. 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 Really so for me, that's that's where I was at. Kristen Stewart. I mean, Kristen Greedy. What would you give enough to? <laughs> <laughs> um I'm really bad with rating sometimes. I guess um could be out of five, could be a letter rating, could be out of ninety. Um, I guess well I guess I'll give it maybe let's I don't know. I don't wanna say no rating and be neutral, but for the sake of needing a rating, let's give it a a solid B to B plus, I guess. Um, for the sake of information needing to be readily available. And um, I think, you know, for just uh, the way that it, you know, it's footage on the ground, you know, it starts off by showing rubble and then it goes into our little, here's what happened. But I think it's important to show, you know, boots on the ground, what's happening, talking to, you know, the average person that's there not you know a bigger talking head so um yeah overall i would go to a pretty solid score because i do think i do think for even with its faults it's important that's, that's kind of where i was at yeah, yeah. I, I think that very first clip they showed where this guy says you know he's seen dead bodies around him and he doesn't bother him anymore he, he's just kind of having to live with the situation i thought that was very powerful it really just throws you right into the state of things that you know these people are just in in a war zone practically mm -hmm. and they just they're they're just in this kind of survival mode and yeah. that is if nothing else important to 
empathize with, understand, and just know how to be in that kind of situation and, you know, just try to survive yeah. for better, for worse. It's a yeah. terrible situation. Our hearts go out to everybody in Ukraine. If you're listening to us right now, thank you so much for listening. And thank you to Kristen, who was a fantastic guest this episode. Yes, probably probably the best we've had in a long time. I am yeah. I am recommending her to take your place. Oh, I, <laughs> I, I thought Alexis was taking my place. Yeah, just yeah. Anyway, she knows how to run Twitch. They say that with every guest that we get on here. Yeah, well, every guest is great. Every guest we get on here is great, including you, Kristen. Uh, <laughs> Well, thank you, Chris. And thank you, Steven. I will say, if it weren't for ear and you guys wouldn't have like the, the the rivalry, you guys are the perfect foil for each other. Yeah, no. <laughs> well, like say uh... twenty-four, one doesn't. It's perfect. It's great. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I wouldn't know who to moderate between if it weren't for you two. Uh, <laughs> What's in store Slava for us next Ukraine? week, Devin? Is it is it Slava Ukraine? Is that how you say that? Slava Ukraine. Slava Ukraine, which is glory to Ukraine. Yes, and fuck communism. So. <laughs> That's uh, I've been waiting all episode to say that. So yeah, uh, that was Steven that, saying is... it, not anyone else. But uh, next yes. week, we Aiden's are. Thoughts are his own. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh, well, <laughs> next week we are going to. Controversial uh... take. I mean, come on, <laughs> you know. <laughs> it is if you're a communist. <laughs> well, they're not. So, but go ahead. Oh Christ. That's Anyways, people are people, <laughs> despite what they believe in. Uh, and that's and that's the thing that people on the political streams tend to miss, and why I think the the, the further you are on on an extreme, the the dumber, and more dangerous you are. That that's, that's my take. Probably uh, fair. Extreme censorism. That's that's my that's my hot take. Um, <laughs> so next week we are going to fully dive into American escapism and watch the Oscars, um, which was originally. I was going to try to shoehorn covering Ukrainian stuff and then covering the Oscars, and then the whole ep the, the idea of the episode was going to be called Ignorance is Bliss, but we thought, <laughs> ah, that's too much to tackle in one episode and really too complicated. I'm really we, glad we did. Uh, yeah, no, that would have been it. that would have been a clusterfuck to try to talk about this in the middle of the Oscars. I mean, oi. So yeah, next week we're well tomorrow the Oscars are happening. Uh, they've cut out a lot of things, which kind of Honestly, sucks. Honestly, I turned the TV on in a panic in the middle of this conversation like an hour ago because I thought today was Sunday. Oh, so, yeah. No, no, usually it's, it's like, no. it's like if you have a really good nap on a Saturday, sometimes you wonder like, wait, I thought it's today Sunday. Yeah. Is it Saturday? I went to a concert last night and I usually don't go out a ton. And I was like, wait, what day is it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> who, who did you I've see? Been asking what, I've been asking what day it is since like March 2020, though, honestly. Um, I saw oh, yeah. Poppy last night. She was, she oh, was sick. Yeah. It, is she, it still, is she still playing the black metal stuff that she did for a little bit? Yeah, because her new album um, is still in that vein, but also maybe a little bit more into uh, just like some good like alt rock with like the metal and it's still like hard rock into it. Um, she definitely did some screaming. It was 
I wanted to scream too from all it, of my It's so crazy to me how Hyper Pop just in injected black metal into it. That's so awesome to me. I mean, <laughs> that's an yeah. I don't know. Yeah. It, it's it's just the, the these two genres you think you could, you think shouldn't be on more polar ends of the spectrum. They kind of they kind of just circle back around in like a horseshoe or a circle. It weirdly but, all works together, but also just seeing uh, her life finally because you know everything kept getting like scheduled canceled and rescheduled due to COVID. Um, whenever she screams in a song, I feel as a woman, um, that feeling like when you watch the scene of everyone screaming together in midsummer towards like the climax, like that's like, that's what that does for me. That it makes cinema. me feel good. So <laughs> for her. Okay. Yeah, no, that's awesome. I, I'm jealous that I, uh, that I missed that, but, um, yeah, so next week we're we're covering the Oscars. Uh, we're not exactly sure which films yet. I, I have some ones that I really want to talk about. Too. Well, I think um, we're waiting to see what the best picture is, and then we'll cover yeah. that especially. But yeah. but uh, hopefully, Coda, we can talk about... I, I I think we'll yeah. probably be on there just because it ties into what we talked about this episode. Um, and uh, but... licorice pizza. Hopefully, that was my pick. Yeah, but... I was gonna say Power see... of the Dog and Don't Look Up, yes. just the spite Steve. Yeah. It'll be oh. interesting to see how it plays out because um, I was actually just about to message uh, Stephen. I guess I could put it in the, I don't know if I want to put it in the live chat or not, but um, there was a CNN article about how like the Oscars aren't what they used to be. And they're like, let's be real. Like Coda's going to win and it's fine. Coda's a great film, but they like literally wrote like the, they're like, but Coda also offends literally no one. And they went on how, you know, in the past we'd have, <laughs> these best picture winners that were like a lot more complex and now it seems like it's a shoe in that you know very like you know really kind of predictable as the way they were describing it. they're like this is a great film but we also have these films and but then you know social media came after all these people about power the dog and like king richard and this and that and it's like it was more of a commentary on how a lot of people hated on West Side Story just for existing, but once I started watching it on like Disney Plus and whatever, they actually really liked it. Um, so yeah, it's social media ruins everything, um, but yeah. not us talking about movies, and not really our different. podcast, not us, <laughs> and not no, the feel. Not us. But, but yeah, f f feel free to share that article because we love hot takes like that, Let's and see we're all about uh, sharing these and. You know, sussing yeah. them out. Pop so. culture is bad, but not our pop culture and not the Call of Cthulhu one-shot live stream that I will be we're currently aiming for April 16th. might be April 9th, so stay tuned for that. Uh, this will be a one-shot campaign about a group of adventurers delving into the lost city of Atlantis. Uh, Devin and Steven will be joining me for the campaign, along with many others, including animator Drew Adams and Riley, Way Riley Ray. Both who have been on the show before. I can't wait for that, and I can't wait for the next episode. And thank you guys so much for listening, and uh, is it Thursday or is Saturday yet? Have a great night, guys. No, don't play, don't play tricks on the date with me like that. I don't appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> it's supposed to be Thursdays. Apparently, Ian is terrible at branding. But, uh, hey, I digress. Oh. It, oh, yeah, it used to be Tuesdays. Well, no, it went from Tuesdays to Thursdays. It used to be Tuesdays. And and the title Thursdays. was not my idea, in fairness. Well, you know what? It doesn't matter because time is a flat circle. Time is um, a flat circle, indeed. man. 
dance, let's see. I'll wrap.